Welcome to The Legal Eagle, where we explore the legal issues of the day, especially in Connecticut, where we originate. We look at the criminal and civil justice system, both at the state and federal level, and we talk to lawyers, judges, and folks connected to the law in various ways. Overall, we want to explore the impact of legal decisions and how they affect our lives. Today, we are delighted to welcome Alex Taubus, co-counsel, and Lydia Fuller, a student at the Yale Law School Clinic, uh, both of whom worked tirelessly in uh, the last, I would say, probably years, <laughs> I'll make it general years, <laughs> uh, with many others to, make, uh, to bring a major education case to trial and to the state Supreme Court last week, where there were major arguments. I, I understand the court was packed, and uh, both of you were engaged in one form or another. Uh, the case is called CCJEF versus REL, and the idea that it's REL is the former governor, so you can tell how old this case is. Uh, and it was brought by the Yale Law Education Adequacy Project in 2005. I checked my notes, I couldn't believe it. On behalf of the Connecticut Coalition for Justice and Education Fund, and several major cities and towns joined the lawsuit. And uh, I've gone back and forth on this lawsuit you know, to, uh, to Hartford, uh, covered it from the very beginning. So let's start with Alex. Uh, welcome, first of all, to The Legal Eagle. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. You're welcome. Um, if your parents or a close friend asked you to describe the essence of this, of this case, how would you outline it? This case is about the something that we talk about a lot in this state, um, the two Connecticut's. The two Connecticut's. And, um, you know, when this case was brought, I was a, actually a public school student in Connecticut in Madison at <laughs> Daniel Hand High School. I had a world-class education there, but uh, it's no mystery to anyone, any of our listeners, that the quality of the education that I received in Madison was very different from the quality of the education that was being offered down I-95 in New Haven, Bridgeport, or in our cities. And what this case is about is parents, teachers, school districts, administrators, students standing up and saying that the state has a responsibility to provide every child with an adequate and an equitable educational opportunity. And, um, and thanks to a great victory, couple of great victories brought by generations of Yale Law students before us, right. um, we're now at a place where we can potentially realize that goal. Right. So, um, Lydia, um, uh, this case has traveled a long way since, it has. <laughs> since 2005, and you now are a second year law student at Yale, uh, and part of this clinic. Correct. Right? Okay. Um, so, could you highlight for us uh, what the court session was like um, uh, last Thursday? At first, it was amazing just how packed the courtroom was. I, heard, yes. I mean, people were calling the court in advance to see what time they had to line up outside of the courthouse just to get in. And I think that's indicative not only of the fact that this is a culmination of Really, the case was brought in 2005, started working on it in 2003. So we're talking going on a decade and a half of mm -hmm. effort, but also just the stakes of this, that these are children who don't have two more years to wait in order to start learning and stop being behind in school. 
And you could really feel that in the way that the advocates were engaging, the way that the justices were engaging, lots of questions flying around on both sides Mm -hmm. Um, and and tough on both sides, too. I think on the state Mm -hmm. side, one of their big points is this is not a place for the courts. This is not even a place for the state. This is about locals and local governments being able to dictate how their schools run. Um, and on the plaintiff side, the fact that no, the state has a, a non-delegable duty and the court was even going after the state a little bit on that of, are uh, we really on, which part? on the, uh, this isn't justiciable. We shouldn't be stepping in here. Of, right, right. If we see a violation, this is somewhere that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do need to step in. Um, but that said, there's also a, a lot of back and forth with the plaintiffs on how should we be looking at spending in Connecticut education? Mm-hmm. Is it enough that Connecticut on a statewide level might have a large enough pie to divvy up among school districts mm-hmm. and then we let them go from there? Mm-hmm. Or do we need to get more granular? And there is a lot of back and forth on just how granular, you know, do we need to get? Mm-hmm. And do we have proof of schools that are underfunded? Do we have proof that there is, you know, that money can solve problems? And the answer is frankly, Yes, absolutely. Uh, the trial judge made over a thousand findings of fact, and a lot of them were about okay. crumbling roofs in schools. Right. Now, we'll go to Alex on the trial for a second, because we have to sort of explain to our listeners who's, who appealed what. Okay. So, because um, this case has gone <clears throat> through so many different routes. Right. So, um, there was a trial. Correct. Um, as Lydia says, it lasted for a year or so. The evidence in the trial uh, lasted for a period of about six months. Six months, okay. January to June of 2016. Okay. Right. And so uh, tell us a little bit about the trial and then who decided to appeal it and why. So the trial um, came, as you said, after a long uh, road for mm-hmm. this lawsuit. In 2005, it was brought. And it was thrown out. They said, "What is? how does this belong in court? A right, right. to an education? Yale Law students fought that decision in the Connecticut Supreme Court. and I, I was there. The Connecticut Supreme <laughs> Court said, yeah, the Constitution of Connecticut guarantees students this right. And so it went back to the trial court to determine, is the state guaranteeing this right for the students of Connecticut? Mm-hmm. And so over that six-month period of evidence, Judge Mukauscher in Hartford um, heard from teachers Mm-hmm. Heard from principals, mm-hmm. administrators, mm-hmm. educational experts mm-hmm. put forward by the Coalition for Justice and Education Funding mm-hmm. and by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the witnesses were questioned, statistics, reports were, were brought forward. And at the end, he made factual findings mm-hmm. about the state of education in Connecticut schools. And it was disturbing what he found. Um, and so, he, he gave a judgment. The judgment was very uh, complicated. It was an 89-page opinion. Really? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it had a thousand findings of fact, as Lydia mentioned. And what it found, which was a great victory for our clinic and for the coalition and for Connecticut's kids, was that the way that money makes its way from the state, from Hartford, down to our 160 or so school districts is completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And the arbitrary system of funding schools cannot be consistent with a system where every student has a right to an adequate and equitable education. Mm-hmm. And so 
That was a ruling against the state. Mm-hmm. He also made a couple of other rulings against the state, finding that various other policies <clears throat> of the state were completely arbitrary and therefore violated children's right to an education. And he also made a ruling that went against us, mm-hmm. um, which said that overall the amount of money that Connecticut spends is enough. It's mm-hmm. just, as I said, a matter of how arbitrarily it gets sent. Right. So, right. so what happened was, after this decision, the state appealed the finding that the funding formula, or lack of a formula, mm-hmm. was arbitrary and unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. The Coalition for Justice also appealed. Ah, We appealed the finding that the overall state of funding in the state is adequate. We don't mm-hmm. agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we said was that if you look at the evidence mm-hmm. and the findings that were made at the trial, there's no way you can say that the amount of resources in Connecticut classrooms is adequate or equitable mm-hmm. or that the state is succeeding in meeting its duty to provide an adequate education. Over a period of years. Over, oh. a, I mean, <clears throat> just to give you an example from <clears throat> the trial, from the <clears throat> evidence. Mm-hmm. Judge Mukauscher found that in East Hartford, one of our focus districts, mm-hmm. they're using textbooks from 1991. Wow. They've got $0 in the budget for library books. They've got one social worker for 400 ninth graders, one school psychologist for 1,700 students at East Hartford High. And what we've been saying, what we said in the Connecticut Supreme Court is, you can't find that going on in our schools. And also say <clears throat> that these kids are getting their right to an education. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are talking today to Alex Taubus and Lydia Fuller, who argued for the plaintiffs uh, in the major case before the Supreme Court of Connecticut last week. Um, Lydia, tell us what the Attorney General's position has been. When you say state, the state is represented by the Attorney General. And so, uh, as Alex is saying, they think... Um, it's up to the legislature to decide this. Is Could you elaborate a little bit more on their position? Sure. So basically what the state is saying is because of that trial court finding that Alex just mentioned was troublesome to us that the state is overall spending enough on education that we can take that overall finding and say the state is spending a minimally mm-hmm. adequate amount of money on education. And we can take that and then generalize to say that there is a minimally adequate education in each and every school district mm-hmm. in the state. Um, they're then saying from their bit that because we're at that minimal level, it's a place for deference to the legislature. And this is no longer a place that the court can step in and that the court would be overstepping to start saying what we need which district is, by district. Which is what happened <clears throat> at the beginning, right? At Correct. the very beginning, they were saying, you don't belong here. You don't have standing. Right. Is that is that essentially right? And um, one mm-hmm. of the one of the disappointing mm-hmm. things about the state's argument is mm-hmm. that the idea that children in Connecticut have a right to an education mm-hmm. it's not new. No, it has a long lineage, and in fact, uh, it goes back all the way to a 1977 case called Horton versus Meskill. Oh yeah, famous. Wh- which created essentially the impetus for what we now call the education cost sharing formula. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the state's arguments sounded to us like they don't think that this entire project 
mm-hmm. of guaranteeing students a right to an education is something that we should be pursuing in the courts. And like you said, we already fought that battle. We already won that battle. And so what, what we really want need to be focusing on now is our kids getting that education that they need. Mm-hmm. So um, you were in the court, Alex, and you have watched it. Um, what was the general reaction of the bench? And you can choose whatever you'd like to discuss on when these arguments were presented. Um, either each side. <clears throat> sure. So I think on this side, in reacting to the state's argument, I think there was a sense of we already came in and said that we do have a place here. And so we are going to really parse out whether our role has been fulfilled mm-hmm. or not. And we're mm-hmm. not going to go back and say we don't even have a place in declaring a minimally ad- adequate uh, right to an education. On For the plaintiffs, there was a lot of discussion from the bench about all of the other factors that Mm -hmm. go into a child's education and those are undeniable children Mm -hmm. are showing up in kindergarten and they are at different reading levels they have different levels of nutrition at home and there is some sense of are we trying to guarantee an outcome for students to which we're saying no but there is a right to education and there is a right to come to a school and have an environment where children are given a chance and when we see things like zero dollars spent in a library books budget, it's hard to say that not spending more money wouldn't mm-hmm. help those students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the court was concerned about its role. Mm-hmm. It was concerned with um, the judge's decision. Like I said, it was a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, neither side got a complete victory. And so they were trying to figure out what parts of this decision should we save? What <clears throat> parts of this decision should we reverse? Um, should we send it back for more trial? Which would was that raised? Well, um, what we want is for the judge's ruling um, to be to stay in place because the judge didn't right. say, "I hereby order a new system." No. Right. What he said was, "I found that the these kids' rights are getting violated." State, you got six months. Bring me a plan. Show me how you're going right. to fix this. Right. And we want to continue with that. We, we, wanna, we want this process for providing kids with education that they're entitled to to happen out in public, out in open court, not in the back rooms of the legislature at four in the morning with, with uh, you know, the smoke-filled room and the horse trading and I, you know, I'll give you my vote on this, you give my schools a little bit more money. This is a constitutional right. And the judge said... It's being violated. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, was, what we've been trying to say is, let's go now and do our job. Let's go now and, and define that right. And let's go and make sure that it's being protected for all of the kids of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get this? Well, the Connecticut Law Tribune had uh, reported that some members on the bench uh, were wary of delving into this issue, uh, that it should be addressed. Uh, did you get the sense that that the sense was that the legislature was the place for this to be according to the court's discussion uh, or uh, what was your feeling as opposed to I think I got the sense from the court that they recognize that if we find a constitutional violation we as a court cannot just push this off uh-huh. to uh-huh. the legislature mm-hmm. um, 
Right. And it would be ironic to say this is the legislature's job when in reality <laughs> they're not doing their job. That's I mean, exactly we're the, right. we're the last state in the, in the country right now with no state budget. So it's not clear to me, um, what exactly the courts should be deferring to or, <laughs> um, yeah, because it seems that the legislature is dysfunctional, uh, obviously right now and, uh, that it has not done a very good job in figuring this out and it has had the power to do so. And I, I think it was Justice Robinson at one point actually asked just how long do we have to wait? If we're going to defer to them, how long do we give them? And I, I think there is a little bit of a sense of will this move forward if we just defer? Right, right. Um, so uh, ha- when you when you left the courtroom, did you come away with, you know, what's our uh, do we have a plan A, a plan? Do we have a plan B or wh- wh- what's your thinking about that? Well, usually after oral argument, the Connecticut, the, the justices will go, they'll deliberate, they'll decide, they'll write an opinion, there'll probably be multiple opinions in this case. Oh, really? Okay. A- after, our, after the first time we went to the Connecticut Supreme Court, it took an entire year That's right. for the justices to decide. They and, have, you know, they're very slow, frankly. Well, they have, a big, they have a big workload and mm-hmm. their decisions um, have a big impact. Right. And they're cited by courts for years to come. So they put a lot of care into what they write. Now, we're not going to wait for oh. the decision to come out uh, because Connecticut's kids can't wait. You know, mm. I mean, this budget years, they go up and down. Um, there's good years, there's bad years. But for the kid who's in third grade, this year is going to impact the rest of his or her life. Right. So we're going to go to the legislature. We're going to urge them now, this year? right now, this year, right now. And we're going to urge them to do the right thing. They don't have to wait for the court to order them to do the right thing. We're going to say, do the right thing now. Make this case unnecessary. We'd be happy for that. Um, provide children with the education they need and they deserve. Um, and provide the right amount, the, enough funding that they can actually achieve that. I mean, it's not just the fact that uh, cities like Hartford, New Britain, New Haven have these needs mm-hmm. they also just don't have the ability mm-hmm. to meet those needs on their own i mean we walk down the street in new haven it's the most gorgeous buildings in these on these streets pay no tax that's right they pay no tax to the town and so the state cannot stand by while this continues we won't stand by uh you know we have to carry on the tradition of the students who came before us and keep fighting for it now, uh, so you're going to go to the legislature assuming, unless well, is a big assumption, that there is one functioning, which right now, who knows? Yeah, that, that, well, this, well, the term will start in January, right? I right. Mean, well, right. the term, I mean, it's continuing now. The, yes. there's, there's discussions. Um, and what's interesting to us is that in the ongoing budget debate, both sides seem to be recognizing some of the truths and facts that came out of the trial. The, the, the governor's budget, um, the executive orders that, are, that were put in place on Monday, mm-hmm. um, which sharply cut back education funding in many districts across the state and raised real constitutional questions themselves. Right, and every town, uh, in, including Brantford, the one I, we, we've had to, every town has had to deal with a budget issue. Um, so, Lydia, you're part of the um, the, the class that yes. is going to be working on this and with Alex, uh, 
what is what's on your piece of paper for uh, the legislature? How, how, how are you going to go forward? So one of the things that the uh, clinic started pushing last semester was the idea of an educational cost study. So starting study. to say a study. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're asking for right now is let's be methodical about how we're building these numbers. Like Alex said, let's not make this a 4 a.m. trading in the dark. Let's go out and actually get the data recognizing that students are coming in at different levels. Students have different amounts of resources in their communities and no two students are alike. And so going out and looking at the districts, the difference is whether it's the number of students who are coming in not speaking English, the number of students who are coming in and need access to special education sources, Mm -hmm. uh, courses, the number of students who need access to social workers and really, really working with experts with educators from the bottom up to determine how much each district needs and then working from the ground up to say, what does that budget need to look like? And going toward not just a system where we're, we have a blanket formula and we're applying it, but we have a formula that is truly backed by data that we're getting from the ground up. So you're talking about 169 towns and cities. Um, in your thought process, have you thought about the idea of regionalization, of combining? I know that I know this is a, a big sore point because all of this is related to labor contracts, but um, we're pretty much in a crisis in the state. Um, well, one thing that we've maintained throughout this litigation mm-hmm. is that. The legislature can choose any way it wants to provide an adequate education for all Connecticut kids. It, if it chooses that it wants to do things in a very inefficient, balkanized, 169 different districts, 169 different towns, if it chooses that it wants to provide that adequate education in an inefficient way, mm-hmm. I mean, that's their choice. They also have the choice of like you said, looking at sharing of certain services, administrative services, um, and trying to do it in a more efficient way, and maybe even providing a better quality education at a lower price. Mm-hmm. We're not against mm-hmm. that. I mean, we, <laughs> what we want to see is that the children are getting the opportunities they deserve. And, mm-hmm. and, however, and so, you know, that's why we really strongly disagree with the state when they say you're asking the courts to tell us what to do because we don't care how you do it, but you got to do your job. Did that come out in court? I mean, was there a sense uh, that, yes, maybe this is a standing issue and the, the attorney general says it goes elsewhere, but in fact, they, the legislature hasn't at all dealt with it. I mean, was that? Yeah. yeah. In terms of at, at court last week? Yeah. I, I think it did to some to some degree of just we haven't seen the action that we need to see. Mm-hmm. We can't keep waiting around. Mm-hmm. And to the extent, again, that there is a constitutional violation, that's not somewhere for the legislature. The legislature mm-hmm. doesn't get deference, frankly, until it's deciding between constitutionally permissible. Right. So you options. were pushing you were pushing in effect the constitutional issue before this court, which is re- probably where where it, where it had to be. Right. And like and like I said, if we if we do get back down to the trial court mm-hmm. and we get into this phase where we're looking at what do we do to remedy mm-hmm. the violations that have occurred, then regionalization may be part of that discussion and it and it should be. 
Have you studied, um, either one of you can answer this, how other uh, states do it? How other states fund their school systems and what actions they take? Absolutely. Um, our clinic studies that across the country. And, and also, we looked at court decisions mm-hmm. from across the country, from South Carolina, Wyoming, state mm-hmm. of Washington, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, is a growing consensus across the country that if you don't have a right to an education, then all of your other rights, your right to vote, participate mm-hmm. in juries, to participate in the economy, they essentially become meaningless. So mm-hmm. it's the court's roles to come in and, and to uh, police them. And, and that's something that actually came up back in 2010 in the, or, the initial CJF 1 decision from the Connecticut Supreme Court, that even the Connecticut Supreme Court has said the Constitution entitles students to an opportunity to get an education that allows them to be good citizens, to go into the workforce, to seek employment, to seek higher education. So they themselves have realized that this has a lot of rippling impacts for the state and is the place for the court to come in. And, and essentially, um, where we are right now is we're at a tipping point where we've got to decide if, if we're okay with falling behind as a state. Mm-hmm. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we still primarily fund schools through the property tax like we did in 1800-something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of states have moved on beyond that. Okay, tell us about that. How have other states funded education? Well, so for some states, um, and, and for many states, the actual state government or a county government in some situations mm-hmm. takes a greater responsibility mm-hmm. to pay their fair share, mm-hmm. particularly in places where there are high needs and a low capacity to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and setting that constitutional standard is really what it's all about. You know, the state says something along the lines of, well, the state our Hartford sends the majority of its money to poor districts. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is, is you can't just look at what the state does. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the schools mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. And, and what kind of funding they're getting from all sources and whether that's adequate. And, um, and so, you know, we could, we could end up falling behind if we don't start looking at things like, reg- like the county or the state taking a greater share. Now, we used to have a county a county setup. I mean, we still have New Haven County and Hartford County and so forth, but we don't, they don't function as counties, right? That's right. Um, the, the, the county government was abolished in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we also have, you know, very localized government, uh, and a state government. And, um, you know, we don't believe that it's, that we believe that the results have been, have been very equitable from what we've been able to see right. in the schools and what was documented in the, in the trial. Um, so, so tell us, tell our listeners what you plan to do. Um, well, you, you've got this plan before the, that you're going to take before the legislature. What, what does it say? Or what, what are you looking for? Well, our, cl- our, we, we're the, you know, we're the clinic. We're the education mm-hmm. adequacy right. project. Our client is the Connecticut Coalition for Justice and Education mm-hmm. Funding. And what they have been putting forward for the past more than 10 years mm-hmm. is you've got to you've got to figure out what it costs to educate a student and you've mm-hmm. got to recognize it's going to cost more to educate a student who is coming from uh, 
a home where a different language is being spoken in the home. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's going to cost more to educate a student who's coming from poverty. Right. And then also, it's going to cost more to educate a classroom mm-hmm. where those needs are concentrated. Mm-hmm. And so, how much more? And that's, that's why, you know, last year we were in the legislature calling for an education cost study mm-hmm. to really drill down and find out how much more. And how, 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 um, Lydia, did the legislature respond to that? Or how did you, what, what kind of feedback did you get on that? Whomever would like to answer. Well, Lydia joined the clinic this semester. Um, we had, we had a full group of students who went up to the legislature last year. And they graduated, yes. Um, some of them graduated. (laughs) Some of them are still, uh, are still here and they're probably listening right now. And, uh, (laughs) but, um, the, the legislature really took it under consideration. And I, I will note that the Republican budget, which, was vetoed by the governor, mm-hmm. um, included a line, although we're not really sure, sure of all the details, about an education formula commission. Well, yes, I think they did, yes. And so, um, you know, the state and the, the governors, they've, they've been resistant to this idea of a study, but a Why? lot of legislators Why? have shown a lot of, well, I, I won't speak, speak for yeah, them. What, I what's think, your theory? I don't know if I'll even theorize. Oh, come uh, on, Alex. <laughs> well, well, I mean, one, one thing that makes sense is, you know, these budgets are a big negotiation. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different moving parts, a lot of horse trading that goes on. And if you take a big chunk of it out of the hands of politicians and you put it in the hands of experts, um, you know, that's one less thing that you can, that you trade. can trade with. Um, <laughs> right. But I actually think it would make their job a lot easier. If they if they did this, and I think that we wouldn't have these kinds of budget crises, right? If if it wasn't so arbitrary and up to the last minute, you know, if we kind of knew what we were doing, um, so so I'm I'm not sure why you know it hasn't happened yet, but I we're we're confident that there will be progress on this because everybody agrees that there's nothing wrong with our kids. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with our kids. There's every child can learn, mm-hmm. and it's not acceptable that in our some of our cities, the vast majority of children are not graduating at reading level. They're not meeting the most basic levels on the standardized tests. Everyone agrees that's not acceptable and something has to be done about it. Mm-hmm. If you are just joining us, we are talking today to Alex Taubus and Lydia Fuller, who are deeply involved in this uh, education uh, case that has uh, just gone before the state Supreme Court. Um uh, what else uh, are the major issues that you'd like to discuss um, regarding this? What, what I'll, give, I'll give uh, Lydia a chance um, to talk about it. You know, Lydia uh, has done a lot of uh, study into the, the legal standards. Oh, okay. Um, that that are being that are being sent around and sort of the legal arguments. So I give I'll give Lydia a chance to talk a little bit more about what happened in the courtroom. Okay, um, that would be week. perfect. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So again. One of the big things we've been talking about is sort of deference to the legislature. But another is, what is our standard? What constitutes an adequate education? When do we say that this is good enough? And how do we measure that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because and, and we firmly believe that it's not all about outcomes. We can't guarantee a right to an outcome. But outcomes are a really, really good indicator that there is a problem. So mm-hmm. when we're looking at low-income students 
in Connecticut and finding that they perform worse on math than 40 other states. And for the other 10, they're not better. They're just the same. Uh, mm -hmm. That was one of the findings from the trial court decision. When we're seeing things like that, we, we need to go deeper and mm -hmm. whether we call it adequate, whether we call it minimally adequate, whether we call it, you know, reasonable, the trial court judge to use a standard that it needs to be uh, rational and verifiable. Uh, kids need better and they need more and the court needs to at some point tell the legislature it's time to to work. Um, and another thing that came up a lot and somewhat related to that is to what degree is the right to an education intertwined with all of the other societal factors going on. So there is a lot of back and forth at the trial between Justice Palmer um, and our advocate Joe Moody from Debevoise about what, what was the meaning of the 1965 amendment to the Connecticut Constitution that wrote in the fact that there's a right to an adequate, a, a right to an education in Connecticut, which the court then read in 2010 as mean, meaning a constitutional right to a minimally adequate education. Um, and he asked, you know, did, did they conceive at the time that it would result in this kind of a court case that's causing this kind of controversy? in this state that's causing this much upheaval in the legislature, this much airtime and budget chats. Um, and the answer is, you know, maybe, maybe not, but it, it's, it's there and children's needs might change over time. <clears throat> what we know about what it takes <clears throat> to educate a child might change over time. <clears throat> and it's up to us to change, change with that. And as Alex said, <clears throat> every child can be educated. So we can't say that the 1965 amendment right. just meant to keep things in motion if some children weren't being educated, if we need to direct more resources to certain districts, to certain students, it absolutely encompassed that. Yeah. And I think Lydia captured a sort of an ironic moment mm. at the courtroom, mm -hmm. um, which was a repeat of what had happened at the trial, where we have representatives from the state government who, and the state government has been the biggest champion of standardized tests. Correct. They have been foisting standardized tests on our local districts with great resistance at some of our local districts, emphasizing how important it is to measure the standards and the achievement of the students. Then they walk across the street into the courtroom and they say that the fact that almost Every student in Bridgeport isn't even reaching the most basic level on these tests is legally irrelevant and has nothing to do and, and shows nothing. Actually said this point blank in response to, I believe it was Justice Palmer's question. What are you going to have, have us do with this? They essentially said, you can't look at these test scores. And I was sitting there wondering to myself, why are these children spending weeks preparing and then hours taking these tests if they don't say anything about whether these children are receiving mm. an adequate and equitable education it didn't make it was i thought i was somewhere else because it was it was really you know wild and so um and so what we've been saying is <clears throat> the test scores alone are not enough kids don't have a right to a certain test score but when you have numbers like this the alarming numbers in some of our districts. Mm -hmm. It's like a canary in a coal mine. <laughs> you know there's something wrong. 
right. and we got to do something about it. Right, right. And that's fascinating that the state took that position given, I mean, to the degree that you almost can't do anything else but study for these tests, right? I mean, that's been the complaint of many teachers. Right. And, we, you know, um, <laughs> Lydia might have some, <laughs> uh, something to say about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. And the and the trial court said right up, you know, this the achievement gap in Connecticut is not going to fix itself. And we don't have this gap because and there is a line mm-hmm. in the opinion. We don't have this gap just because the high achieving students are doing so well. It's not that the top end of our distribution is just so high. And that said, we have a lot of high achieving students, but it's because the bottom end of our distribution, there is a problem and these kids are falling behind. Um, and I, I actually, one line from the trial court decision that I loved was he referred to the flaw of averages <laughs> of just, we can't look across the state and, you know, look at our test scores in aggregate or look at spending in aggregate and say, things are fine. We owe the students the deeper look and we owe the students going into that data, going into the test scores, mm-hmm. going into the schools and seeing Falling ceiling tiles. There were stories from some schools of social workers having 10 to 12 students in a single session for social work at these schools. We owe it to the students to go in and delve deeper. And whether that's looking at conditions or that's looking at outcomes on standardized tests, you can't, you can't ignore, ignore that. All right. So this, um, um, this case comes at a time when the legislature is barely functioning. Uh, and yet you guys are going forward. You have a plan. Uh, and you continue, and your your objective is really over a, a period of time, right? I mean, this is not going away, regardless of what happens at the Connecticut Supreme Court level. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of the talk in Connecticut right now is about a budget crisis. Yes. Um, and about us, you know, potentially being in a really bad spot as a state because of that crisis, and. Part of what we're saying is, you know, and I think that we've learned this um, with the recent hurricanes mm-hmm. and natural disasters mm-hmm. um, that have hit us, uh, hit our country, is that when there's a disaster, when there's a crisis, mm-hmm. it's those with the least who are hurt the most. Correct. And right. those who are most vulnerable, whose resources and needs are most ignored. And so the Coalition for Justice and Education funding is saying, don't forget those kids mm-hmm. because it's not just a line in a budget. Mm-hmm. It's their constitutional rights that are at stake. And a good year and a budget year, a bad budget year, they come and go. But a kid's education will last with them for their entire life. Right. And so that's really what we're saying. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're not going to let it go. We're going to keep fighting. And we're hopeful that the, that the Connecticut Supreme Court will recognize that again, mm-hmm. as they have in Horton. Mm-hmm. They did it again in the Chef versus O'Neill case. Yes. <clears throat> and then uh, seven or eight years ago, when our forebears at Yale Law School went and argued in the Supreme Court as well. Right. Yeah, you've had many. Uh, and, and I guess we should say that, I mean, the... Um, the, the the students themselves may argue once they're sort of admitted. Uh, how, how does that work? How do you get? How does a student get to actually argue before the Supreme Court when they're not yet members of the bar? <clears throat> Connecticut has an excellent law mm-hmm. which allows certified legal interns mm-hmm. under the supervision of a clinical or regular attorney mm-hmm. um, to argue in court, just like an attorney would. 
and uh, it applies at all of our Connecticut law schools, UConn, mm-hmm. Quinnipiac, and Yale Law School. Mm-hmm. And students at all three schools make an excellent contribution to our state's legal culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really something that uh, has strengthened our state and its institutions. And um, in this case, right now with our clinic, we're not in court um, as much. Mm. I mean, the, the, the argument, I, we should say, we should give great credit um, in the Connecticut Supreme Court was handled by um, jo- Joseph Moody, mm-hmm. who is an attorney from Debevoise and Plimpton in New York City, who partnered with the Coalition for Justice after our great victory in 2010. Mm-hmm. Their firm donated <clears throat> thousands of hours to mm. our state, um, really just you know for the good of our state, thousands of hours, uh, thousands of dollars of resources, argued the case in the Connecticut Supreme Court with our help. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so, and then now we're, we're working sort of outside of court to try and help the Connecticut, uh, kids. Um, but then, you know, back at Yale Law School, there is a whole host of other clinics. Yes. That are in court. Um, uh, thanks to this Connecticut law and also laws in other states and in federal court. Um, right. and are making a big difference. Yes, I know. And we've, we've, uh, interviewed some of your professors <laughs> and the various things they do. And it's quite fascinating because they can go into areas that other, Others don't, uh, you know, because it comes to their attention. <clears throat> well, um, I have to say that it looks like our time is up. Uh, it goes fast when the topics are so interesting. And we want to thank you both, uh, Alex and Lydia, for being here with us today to explain this. And I think we might have to have you guys back just to give us an update because it looks like behind the scenes and in the front, you guys are moving on this case regardless of what happens. Absolutely. We'd be happy to come back. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And uh, to our listeners, you can go to the newhavenindependent.org website to get a podcast of this broadcast, to listen to the wide variety of shows that the station is producing each day. Um, and we thank you again for being with us. <laughs>